Hi everyone, the Booksing Podcast is back. Again, we are having to record this episode via Zoom, meaning the sound quality will not be great. Thanks so much for understanding. Also, we are very sorry that the story was uploaded late, but it's up there now, so please do go check it out. On a brighter note, we do have lots of exciting topics for our February episode. First up, let's talk about our month specials. For February, our book of the month was Little Woman by Louisa May Alcott. This masterpiece follows four sisters, Meg, Joe, Amy and Beth, after their father is sent away to fight in war. They stick together through thick and thin and always remember, remember each other. With their neighbour, one of their closest friends, they experience many things together. This book is absolutely delightful, simply simple and blissful. The book has no major dramas or complex tragedies of classic literature. I think it's the simplicity of the book that made it such a masterpiece. Thanks for that. Helena, would you like to tell us some more about February's character of the month? Of course. This month it is Grey from the book The Wolf Wilder, written by Catherine Rundell. Grey is a wolf with grey fur, as the name suggests. When she was a newborn pup, Theo's mother, a wolf wilder, had to fight a hunter to save her. As a result of this, she has a quick temper, usually stressed out and does not trust many people. However, she is also brave and strong and willing to risk her life for Theo. Yes, I agree. I think Grey is very special to Theo. Remember, if you have any ideas or reviews for the month's specials, contact us via our email, iobooks.inc at gmail.com. Also, we have a new blog post about Amanda Gorman, the poet who recited at Joe Biden's inauguration. The blog post includes her poem, which is absolutely inspirational. Here it is. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We braved the belly of the beast. We've learnt that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is and isn't always justice. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country in a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother, can dream of becoming president, only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, and that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colours, characters and conditions of man. So we left our gazes, not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first, we must put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe of nothing else say this is true, that even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tr tired, we tried, that we'll forever be tied together victorious, not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scriptures tell us to envision that everyone sh shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promise to glade, the hills we climb, if only we dare. It's because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It is the past we step into and how we repair it.
We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. This effort very nearly succeeded, but while democracy can be periodically declared, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith we trust. For a while we have our eyes on the future. History has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it, we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and to laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail our catastrophe? Now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what it was, but move to what shall be. A country that is bruised but whole, benevolent but bold, fierce and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction in inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become the buttons. But one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left. With every breath from my bronze-pounded chest, we will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the golden hills of the west. We will rise from the windswept north northeast, where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the late-drummed cities of the midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked south. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover. In every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge, battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new day blooms as we free it, for there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. I love that poem. It tells the truth that many people prefer to ignore and put behind them. Now, moving on to the word of the month. What is this month's word? This month's word is biblioclept. An adjective used to describe someone who steals books. For example, be alert in bookstores. You may encounter some bibliotheques. A new blog post this month was a book review about the Ichabog by Jason. What is the Ichabog? The Ichabog is J.K. Rowling's first children's book since Harry Potter. It sounds amazing and Jason has kindly offered to review it for us. Hello, Jason the Bookworm here and I'm back with another blog post. This time, it's about a book called The Ichabog. The Ichabog is a magnificent book written by J.K. Rowling, who is too often only recognised for her Harry Potter books. She also writes other stuff, which is brilliant. It is set in the land of Cornucopia and is a tale full of mystery, cunning plans and lots of kidnappings. It's about a mythical monster that comes to life via an evil lord, who only cares about himself. The mythical monster causes widespread chaos and panic, plunging Cornucopia into poverty. But can four kids and a bit of ingenious thinking save the country? Last month, we read you all the fifth chapter of our lockdown story, Lockdown and Dan the Line of Stick. In case you forgot it, here's a review of what's happened so far. The five landy children who live in London have gone to the countryside when lockdown is announced. They are hoping for a quiet time, but on the their first day there, they hear a scream. Running to their aunt's room, they see that she has fainted. But more alarming than that, there is a picture stabbed to the chair with a rusty knife. The next day, when they are playing hide and seek, two other siblings hide next to their aunt's room. When they are there, they hear their aunt's phone ringing. Listening in on the conversation, they hear something terrible. Someone is blackmailing their aunt.
Today we will read you the sixth chapter. Lockdown in Dandelion Estate, Chapter 6. A few minutes later, they were back in their den and Kate and Edward were telling the others what they had just overheard, interrupting each other by objecting and correcting details. For once, nobody dared to speak or move except to ask a few questions or widen their eyes, which were already as big as tennis balls. Unlike the previous meeting, Ivy was composed and seemed to be working as hard as she could. This time, it was Laura who looked chattered, but she pulled herself together and told them, We should have expected something like that. Can you write down exactly what was said during the call whilst it is still fresh in your mind? Edward looked questioningly at Kate. I think we can manage if we start quickly, he said. During the moment of silence that followed, during which Kate and Edward tried to write out the speech heard on the telephone, Michael, who no one had heard to the point that they had nearly forgotten about him, whispered. Well, now we know it was her in the photo, not us. Then he added, looking at his sister, if that helps, Ivy. Michael, that is smart. Well done, Laura exclaimed, impressed by her brother's sudden dash of ingenuity. Michael smiled rather tidy, as though he thought she was mocking him again. Kate intercepted that look and continued. Michael, it's true. We are pulling your leg. Nervous about it. Be proud. At that, the small boy nodded slightly and stopped reaching down to his legs. Also, we need to find out what Grandfather did, as well as who is the blackmailer. He continued almost shyly. We can always ask Dad, replied Edward, dismissing the, that point. But you said that Dad doesn't know and we can't give Aunt Brunhilde a fright by telling her what we heard. I agree, Michael, pondered Ivy. You also seem to consider many theories. We could see if any of the domestics worked here at that time or know anything, but that could also reveal things our aunt doesn't want anyone to know. The girl paused to twist her hair between her fingers thoughtfully. And the blackmailer could hear that and discover that we are on their trail. I think we need to add it to the list, like Michael said. We don't have a list. Edward reached into the corner where he had kept the pinboard until now and brought it out for the others to see. He continued, we can start with this board I found in the room we hid in. We can build a fort in the den for our investigation so that adults don't find out what we're doing. Everyone agreed that that plan was a good idea and nodded enthusiastically, then paused the meeting to put their fort into order. Laura and Michael were trying to cram anything lying around. Oh, exclaimed Ivy. I'll go get the post-its and pins for the boards. She ran off hastily, almost tripping over her own feet. Once everyone had settled down and Ivy had come back with the post-its, Kate, having been declared president of the investigation, as she was the oldest, and also the first one to tell them that something was wrong, called for the first of the detective meetings. All right, said Edward, after his eldest sister had introduced the meeting and passed a set of rules. What's first? I think we'd better start with our list of suspects, then build around them with evidence. That seems like a good plan. All in favour? Asked Kate, and when the others all nodded, she continued. We also have to organise the pinboard. Let's start with the main points in the middle and then continue from there. The children set to work, discussing the possible suspects in plots. The servants seemed to be the only people in the house that could have done it. Edward realised that as their aunt and uncle held their own business, that any of them could have wanted a pay rise. We'll never manage this. We don't even know any of them, wailed Ivy, stamping her fist into the cushions, summarising what every landy child had thought. After staring silently at their empty pinboard for a few minutes, Kate jumped up and exclaimed, We can rule them out! We were in the garden or dispersed in the house, so we would have seen someone coming in or one of the domestics would have seen someone snooping around. 
Relief flooded over the group as they crossed off people from the business. Exactly. And how would they get here? This is the only house for two miles around, and we didn't hear any cars or vehicles. We might have to interrogate the domestics on that too. But Mum, Dad and Uncle John weren't here, so no need to ask them that question for the knife. Does that rule them out? Asked Ivy hopefully. Because they weren't here to put the knife? Not quite. They could have put it there before going. As for the telephone call, they could have been anywhere and we didn't see them, replied Kate sorrowfully. They told me they were going on a walk, and when I wanted to come, they told me they would be talking about grown-up problems and didn't want me to come, Michael confided, and that seemed suspicious. Oh, I hate this, Edward cried. Why are we talking about our parents as main suspects? I know, agreed Laura, but we have to see all the angles, and we'll discuss each in turn. If they did do it, questioned Ivy, what would be the motive? Jealousy? Money? They would be threatening our aunt with a secret they don't know, and that is about our dad's own father. Oh, that's interesting, exclaimed Kate, and after a short pause, they could actually know and just use it as a blind, but that still doesn't make sense. It just seems so far-fetched. Another heavy silence settled onto their group. Each member could not imagine what it would be like to see their parents being sent to jail. It seemed impossible to even think about it. If we do find out that our parents blackmailed Aunt Brunhilde, Another heavy silence settled onto their group. Each member could not imagine what it would be like to see their parents being sent to jail. It seemed impossible to even think about it. If we do find out that our parents blackmailed Aunt Brunhilde, should we tell the police? wondered Laura aloud. Yes, responded Edward with a heavy heart. We probably would have to denounce them to the police. Otherwise, we would be hiding information from them, which is a criminal offence. Come on, teammates, reassured Michael, who, surprisingly, had not felt flattened yet by the dark veil that might lift to reveal their parents to be blackmailers, but instead tried to comfort his siblings. There are more possibilities. It was probably not them. The thing is, Ivy said, twisting her hair between her fingers, I'd like everyone here. I don't want to find out that one of them is a culprit. If we don't find out who it is, they might put their threats into action, and the worst could happen, Kate pointed out. So... Should we investigate the domestics? Asked Laura, slightly impatiently, and continued when all four heads are nodding. Should we start with the butler? Blake should be in the dining room now. After much deliberation, they decided to send Ivy away to interrogate butler Blake on his doings because, as Laura had pointed out, it would be suspicious if they all arrived to ask him a few questions. Once in the dining room, where the manservant was polishing silver, Ivy made her move whilst the others hid behind the door. Very sorry to disturb you, Blake, but would you mind answering a few questions for us? We're trying to find out whether anyone um, stole Michael's bolt. A smile played at the corners of Blake's mouth. Hopefully, he believed that this was just a childish quarrel or them playing detectives. I'm happy to oblige, miss, he replied. Thanks so much. Ivy was extremely relieved. First of all, where were you this morning? At 11 o'clock and this afternoon at 2. We think it must have disappeared around then. Why, I was out shopping with your mother and father from 9 to sometime around 11.30 and at 2? I suppose I was probably here polishing the cutlery. Fantastic pieces of work they are, still around from Queen Victoria's time. And the details, look at those intricate carvings, although they are quite a job to clean. See how each of them have their own beautiful designs, although the same set keeps the same patterns or a slight variation of each and... Yes, yes, interrupted Ivy, even eager to discuss this new information with the others. That will be all for now. Thank you. 
Okay, well, I hope you find your ball. I can promise that I have not taken it from him. The butler commented, looking slightly amused. Pardon? Oh, yes, the ball. Ivy mumbled momentarily, forgetting that she was supposed to be asking about it. I'm sure it will be somewhere in the garden. It's just Michael being clumsy and misplacing it like usual. The girl rushed outside, finding her siblings hiding behind the door, unable to contain their spasms of laughter. Together, still giggling, they reached the garden and collapsed in a heap of uncontrollable hysterical giggles. Thank you for listening. And see you next month. Bye. Bye.